for me, coming from a background of helping people and working at camps for people with disabilities, I really, at the end of the day, want to help people. I think in the spirit of sales, that's probably where I get the biggest reward. It's not always closing a large deal. It's knowing that at the end of the day, I'm streamlining processes. I'm giving someone time back to their day and I'm making their lives easier. And I, I really do find the, the true joy in that. This one goes out to all of our listeners on the West Coast. Today, we have Evan Thomas, Inside Channel Sales Advisor at SiteLock. Evan shares his philosophy on how sales is a way to help people, how he booked a meeting with a C-level executive at Coca-Cola, and how he was able to convince his manager to let him move from the East Coast to the West Coast. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Evan Thomas, in the house, man. Evan, thanks for joining us. What's going on, Mark? What's going on, Chris? I appreciate you guys having me. San Diego, California, West Coast. I love it. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, Growing up, family, what you were like as a kid, and then we'll break into high school, and then we'll get into college. Yeah, that sounds fair. So originally, I'm from uh, Maryland, and uh, a little small town called Pomfret in Charles County. Grew up there, had three siblings, uh, you know, grew up with both my parents. I went to Catholic school through uh, fifth grade, which was, uh, you know, a little bit of heavy lifting um, growing up, and then going to public school. So uh, yeah, I'd say my my Childhood was filled with lots of wonderful memories, uh, spending time with my family, and um, you know, really it was a lot of sports focus as well, right? So I did uh, basketball, baseball, track, soccer. I mean, everything under the sun growing up uh, to find out what my niche was. Uh, and it turns he out was, he I'm sounds super like you were a quadruple like threat. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like to dabble. I'm a competitive person. At the end of the day, I think that's how I ended up in sales. So. Um, for me, just getting out there competing um, in anything and, and trying my hand at it to see see what I'm good at. You know, uh, some of those failures teach you great lessons in life at the end of the day. You know, I knew that basketball was big. The soccer, that's new to me. We never talked about that. <laughs> well, right. soccer, soccer only did uh, for a few years. I think I missed a header and headbutted a kid in his face. Um, and and there's some blood involved. And I think that was the time that uh, we, we tapped out of soccer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Or you tap someone else out of soccer. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just me, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. So what were you like? So what were you like in high school? What were you playing sports? Did you do, did you have a job? Do you both? You were in clubs? Like, what, tell us about the Evan Thomas high school. Oh, man. Evan Thomas in high school. Um, once again, it, I think it comes back to competitiveness. I, uh, I took all AP classes throughout high school, so I didn't have to go to school the full day. Um, so I went to three classes in the morning and then I had a job at uh, both Walmart and Mattress Warehouse. Um, so I would leave school, do that, come back and have basketball practice in the evenings or track or whatever it was. Um, and then basically go home, do my homework, rinse and repeat. And what was cool about that is I had a, uh, a key to the gym uh, where I went to high school. So uh, every morning I wake up at 3.30, uh, leave the house at like four and then run to uh, high school uh, open up the gym and, and get some shots in before school even started. So uh, pretty much every day was was action packed. Uh, you know, I was up till probably midnight every night and, and up at 3.30. 
uh, really just grinding and, and trying to get it done, you know? I, I wasn't doing any of that in high school. <laughs> I don't know if Corker was either. I, I was playing sports, but I was definitely, I had no one would give me the keys to anything. And um, I wasn't, I was taking AP classes, but not that, not so many that I only had to go to school for three periods. So that's, that's pretty yeah. cool. All right. Yeah. And then wait, where were you on the food chain in the house with, with the siblings? Oh man. Um, I'm third. So the, the food chain is probably the, the correct hierarchy, right? So my brother, Ian, who's three years older than me, um, and then my sister, who's um, Erica. She's 11 and, months And Thomas, hold on. I'll give Ian a little shout out. Sorry. Yeah, of course. You, you mentioned an alum. I got to say. <laughs> oh, Ian. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll always shout out Ian Thomas. He's my inspiration for sure. Um, <laughs> there you go. And, um, and then my little sister. So, uh, I think growing up, you know, he, he kind of ruled the house. And then... Um, I think I saw some of the privileges of having older siblings. So when he was growing up, he couldn't go out at night. Um, he couldn't visit his friends. <laughs> and then my sister, she wasn't allowed to date until she was 18. Um, so she couldn't go out. And by the time they got to me and they, you know, the other two siblings are in college, you know, I had, I had the, the full run of the house. So I was, I was out in the streets, um, you know, doing, doing work and, and, um, uh, going to school and whatnot, but I had a lot more flexibility to to be out and about as well. Excellent, excellent. All right, so you were in high, when you were in high school, where did you kind of decide where you wanted to go to college, and how did that all go down? So in high school, I uh, and this it always sounds super braggadocious, and it's not meant to be that way. Oh no, um, man, I, I Bring did, it up. I did, yeah, I did. I did well in high school. Uh, I was fourth in my class, and I wow. received um, full scholarships to everywhere I applied for academics. Um, and that's including uh, like Duke and UNC and NYU. Um, but my brother was at Georgetown University at the time, and he has a disability called spinal muscular atrophy type three. So with that disability, it makes it hard for him to walk and get around and, and all of that. So I decided to go to Georgetown to support him and, and be in his corner. And, uh, you know, no, no real regrets on, on uh, not going to UNC Chapel Hill, which was my first choice. Um, and then, uh, but, but no real regrets. I think uh, at the end of the day, the college experience is the college experience, right? Um, you're exposed to so many new things in, in the world. And uh, it's a time where you're able to grow and develop your own opinions and, and decide who you're going to be. So um, for me, it was also nice having that crutch of having a sibling at college as well. That was a few years older. Um, just like in high school, I went in and they go, oh, you're little Ian. Um, so, so for me, um, you know, having, having a, a great, um, you know, group of friends and, and having a brother to lean on, you know, for advice and, and to be able to spend time with him and, and share, have that uh, shared experience, I think is something that's uh, pretty incredible that a lot of people don't get to say they, they've had. No way, not at all. I mean, and that's a, that's a great school. They don't have a Georgetown out there in San Diego, really, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, it's, it must have been great going to school with a brother. Tell me what it was like. I'd say, you know, like I said, I think it's, it's the, the normal college experience you get, right? I went in there, like I mentioned, I, I grew up pretty Catholic. Um, and, and, you know, we have our, our thoughts in, in that specific religion. And, um, you know, being exposed to different lifestyles and different types of people and, and ethnicities and customs and religions, um, it really just, just opened up my mind and, and my life and, and the way that I treat people. You know, I, I certainly could have been a lot more abrasive uh, when I was younger, but um, I think that's really opened up my thinking to, to say, hey, you really don't know who anyone is unless you take the time and opportunity to understand them, to get to know them. 
um, and just be open-minded in your approach, right? Um, and then secondly, going to school with my brother, um, you know, just a, a great experience. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's my brother and people go, to, you know, they join fraternities, they join sororities and they say, oh, these, these are my brothers. But my brother never beat me. Um, you know, he never, uh, you know, I never had a drink till, till uh, you know, till, till I passed out. But at the end of the day, I think having that shared experience is, has been uh, extremely important, especially to our relationship as brothers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having him on the podcast. I don't, I don't, Chris, yeah. do. He, he's an amazing guy. I, I'm trying to figure out who's more talented, either you or him. <laughs> but then you keep telling me this, your, this, your sister is the most talented one in the family. <laughs> So, so. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talent to go around. I say okay. um, Ian Ian Thomas is at the top of my list just for uh, having to overcome what he's overcome. And uh, I mean, you know, he has a law degree. He's made the most of it. So, uh, you know, kudos to him and, and kudos to anyone who's overcoming challenges that you can see or you can't see. Um, and, and you're just fighting that good fight to make the best life for yourself. Yeah, man, that's that's inspirational. That's 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 that guy. That guy's a badass. So let's yeah. let's talk about. Um, so what'd you major in in Georgetown? Oh man, I majored in English right at the the turn of the Great Recession. So I was I was in uh, business school at first, and I had some really great professors. Um, and I played basketball with uh, the vice president of Georgetown. He was on my intramural team. And he was a writer as well. So, you know, they, they convinced me I'd be this amazing journalist and, and I had a voice that, that should be heard. And then when uh, I moved from business school to English and the recession hit, I was like, my God, what have I done? <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that's what really caused me to, to kind of pivot. And, and I think on that journey of, of a lot of, uh, you know, woes and, and being like, you know, what, what do I do with this? you know, Dustin Deal of all people from Memory Blue reached out to me and, and that's how I got connected with you guys. <laughs> Dustin Deal. Oh man, that's another guy we got to get on this thing. Dustin Deal is your connection to the company originally, huh? He is. He's, he's my first in. I just remember him speed talking for about 30 <laughs> minutes and, and him saying, hey, will you come in for an interview? And I said, uh, yeah. And I got off the phone and I thought, what, what did I just say I was interviewing for? Um, so, you know, he did, he did a great job on, on selling memory blue up front, to be honest. Um, and, and I think that, uh, he was a great representative for you guys at that time. When you decided to switch from business to English, what was your vision in terms of taking things professionally? Were you going to go to graduate school or what did you think at that point? I mean, honestly, I think it was just such a college kid decision, right? Um, I, I had no plans. I just thought, Hey, people really believe in me. I should do it. Um, so, you know, they, they're seeing this, this talent that, that I haven't seen in myself. Um, and, and like I said, at the end, I, I it just froze me with fear uh, when everything happened with the recession um, because, the, you know, it didn't feel like journalism was recession proof at the, at that time. Um, so for me, I, I really didn't have a solid plan. I was, I was a kid in college kind of just scooting by, you know, at a, <laughs> at a great school, trying to get the work done and, and, uh, you know, make a, make a life of it. <laughs> so were you, were you trying to, or did you have thoughts of, of kind of pairing your uh, love for writing in English with your love for sports and going into a sports writing? Or were you thinking more of like a novelist or a poet or? Yeah, honestly, I, I would say what, what really drew me was, was probably marketing. Um, that okay. was one of the things that, that really drew my interest at first. Um, and then I did some marketing with um, like Red Peg and Gail and Rice. And um, through them, I was working with, uh, they, they basically were doing 
uh, experiential marketing across the country. And we would work with cars. So I worked with Chevy and Volkswagen through those, um, through those companies. And I remember I was just doing marketing at, at an event and this guy goes, you know, tell me about the car. And he ended up buying it. And I was like, wow, what a thrill, right? Um, you know, to make a sale from, from just talking to someone about what I know. Um, and I think that was my, my first real taste of this is something that I really like to do, right? Because um, I know at the end of the day, when we were chatting, there was objections and I overcame them and, and I really enjoyed the thrill of the pursuit in that. And then out of nowhere, you get a phone call from Dustin Deal. Yeah, out of, literally out of nowhere. I think he said he found my old resume from like two years prior on uh, Monster and just said, hey, you look like you'd be a great fit for sales. Very good. So why did you ultimately decide to start a career in high-tech sales at, at Memory Blue? I, my, my interviews with, with you and Mark, honestly, um, you know, I, I think when, when I first met you, I think uh, Mark's first question was, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? And, you know, obviously the, the answer is I hate to lose, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, everybody loves to win. But when, when you lose, you learn something, you understand there was a level of preparedness that wasn't there, um, that it was something that you could have accomplished. But most of the time, it's based on that lack of preparation or lack of knowledge that will uh, sink you. So, um, you know, when, when he said that, it, it really just kind of, you know, sent, sent sparks through me, man. Um, to, to be honest, I, I thought immediately, hey, this is a, the type of people or these are the type of people that um, at the end of the day, I can really learn from and, and uh, you know, grow as a salesperson. Very good. And so when you are coming from a school with such such a prestigious university and, and it performs so strongly academically, really you have a, the world is your oyster in terms of where you can take your career professionally. You can take, there's lots of companies that will hire people regardless of major. If you come from such a great school and you, and you, and you perform well academically. So you could, the world was your oyster. You could have done a lot on one hand. On the other hand, I guess we were the beneficiaries of you graduating into a recession. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were punching above our weight class in terms of the caliber, the caliber of people we could land. But we, we're, we're, we're thankful for that. So did you think, did you think about going to Wall Street or, or going consulting or were you just kind of doing things and all of a sudden Dustin Deal got a hold of you and then one thing leads to another, you're talking to Mark and he's talking about competition and then we kind of swept you up. Is that essentially what happened? Yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends, you know, especially at Georgetown, they go to New York, they stay in D.C., they do politics or finance or some sort of business. A lot of them are at Booz Allen, uh, Deloitte. So, you know, I was certainly exploring those, those routes. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think it was truly just the uh, genuine nature of the conversations I had with Memory Blue that made it a, a no-brainer for me. Um, I, I certainly remember... Um, after the interview and you guys saying, Hey, we'll, we'll bring you in and going in the first day and thinking like, Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Uh, but working with you guys, it, it was such a simple process for someone who was a little more shy, especially when it came to sales and getting on the phone. Um, you know, for you guys, it's at memory blue, it's feast or famine, right? Uh, you don't want to talk to people. You're, you're, you don't want people to hear your phone calls. You're, yeah. you're hiding away. Um, but you're forced to be in this environment that, you know, you sink or swim, like I said. And I think just being a part of that, I was able to look at my peers and, and hear the people around me and, and, and listen to their phone game, as they say, and pick up the things that really work and, and discard the things that don't work for me personally. Because some things 
Um, some tactics work for people, the, the way that they talk or uh, interact is good for them. But if I try to replicate that, it's, it's not something that will shine. Um, and I think learning about, you know, Costigan and Sandler and the sales trainings that, that you guys offer there, um, I realized that there was a little niche area for me as well. Um, because for, for me, coming from a background of um, helping people and, and working at camps for, for people with disabilities, um, I really, at the end of the day, want to help people. And, and um, I think in the spirit of sales, that's probably where I get my, the, the biggest reward. It's not always closing a large deal. It's, it's knowing that at the end of the day, I'm streamlining processes. I'm giving someone time back to their day. Um, and, and I'm making their lives easier. And I, I really do find the, the true joy in that. Um, so and I think that's something that, that I found uh, at Memory Blue through, you know, your coaching and, and your training there as well. You, you, there's a ton to unpack there, a ton. I, a couple of things I want to go back on. One is you're, you're right. And I, I remember going through this as a sales professional, but when I was managing people more directly, the SDRs, you come into this role and it, it's kind of a shock to the system, right? Right. Yeah. And because of the nature of what you're doing, you're interrupting arguably the busiest people on the planet. You're interrupting their day. And they're not expecting you to call. They're not asking you for you to call. They may be 10, 20, 30 years older than you. And they've learned more about what they do than you, you'd ever hope. Or they forgot more than you'd ever hope to learn. <laughs> right. And then you've got to do this. And you should hear people doing successfully. And people may get caught up and lose their identity as to who they are as a person in the sales training. And you're right. You've got to learn what works for you and what doesn't. And once you get comfortable with that, once you kind of figure out your offense, what kind of game you got, it, it can be more, more enjoyable. Yeah. And then um, the second thing is, I mean, this came up today with me, with one of our SDRs is the, the same thing. They really like the idea of helping people. And he was concerned with the fact that he wants to sell from a, a being genuine and sincere perspective, but he thinks it may come across as cheesy. I said, no, that's like the most important thing, particularly right. in sales. If you can figure out how you can help and impact someone personally, like you're adding quality to their life. And that's not cheesy. That's, that's kind of the reality. So right. those are, those are two big things. Uh, I think for people to understand who are considering working for us or, or earlier in their career with us. Yeah. And I, I think, like I said, just throwing, throwing them uh, into the lines, then uh, was, was, a, was a blessing in disguise. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I remember most is, um, you know, we had those daily standups where we, we talk about the leads we got from the previous day or that morning and being up there empty handed uh, with zero when other people are laying out 10, uh, you know, it, it's incredibly intimidating. And I think um, when I had my first offer, I was just like, all right, I, I got to come in earlier. I have to make these calls because, you, you know, for me, once again, it comes back to that competitiveness, right? I know we had mag seven and, and always just trying to be at the top of every list possible. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so making making those fifths and making it competitive. Um, but you also have that environment of people that are also learning with you and around you. So there shouldn't be that intimidation factor because they're, they're on the same path. They're thinking the same thoughts like, yep. you know, am, am I going to be successful doing this? You know, will this person actually buy whatever it might be? Um, you're not the only person out there in sales that's, that's, that's having that thought. It's not unique to you. Um, I think you, you rely on the people around you and, and use that support to make yourself better at the end of the day. And uh, one shout out to, to Nimit Bot. Um, I, know, I, know, I know he came on. And he'll probably be mad at me for saying it, but he was so meek and, and shy and bashful. 
And, um, and, and I remember, yeah, he came in and I was like, man, I don't know if this guy's going to make it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sorry, and, um, and, um, and I remember just sitting with him and, and he sat, he sat to my left and I was like, Hey man, it's okay. Here's how we, you know, here's some good processes to follow. And right before I left, I just remember his confidence just skyrocketing. And, and now he's been such a, an incredible pillar for you guys at Memory Blue. And, and uh, I'm extremely proud of, of him and his progress. Oh, you, got, you Maryland guys got to stick together. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey, what, who else back in the Magnificent Seven Days, the Mag Seven, oh, wow. who else were some of, who are some of, your, some of your cronies that were kind of fighting to, to be on top? Or who do you remember? Oh, man. Um, what is it? Uh, sorry, Michael Twist, obviously. Michael Twist. He's a, he's a staple. Uh, James Gannon. <laughs> Again. Oh, also, also a staple. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, is it Arash? Um, I remember. Arash Yes, my guy. I, I remember him just abusing that. Hey, I got to put out a fire. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the phone calls, and I loved it. I mean, he just oh, came to such veracity when he was on the phone and, and tenacity, and I loved it. <laughs> Rewind the hands of time for a moment and think back to the night before you started at Memory Blue. What advice would you give to yourself now, knowing what you know now? Honestly, none. I think, I think the excitement and the fear and the intimidation um, all, all played, played the role that they needed to play, right? Um, you know, some people take fear and they, they run away from it. For me, it's just another challenge to overcome. Um, and, and just coming from that academic background, for me, jumping into something that I was not used to, uh, that I had a very little understanding of, and just saying, hey, I'll drink from the fire hose. I'll take the time to learn and, and see how people are successful doing this. And um, at the end of the day, I think that mixture of, like I said, fear, a little bit of anxiety, intimidation, all played a part in me saying, you know, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't be, you know, stressed going in there. I have to figure out how to do this now. Um, you know, like in sales, it doesn't matter. I could sell a $10 million deal right now and you'll say, Hey, great job. But uh, what do you sell for me next week? <laughs> so at the, at the end of the day, I think that's, that's the, the mindset that comes with it. It's, uh, you know, don't, don't let it intimidate you. Uh, let that fear drive you to better yourself and, and take the time to learn and, and gain that knowledge that, that you're seeking to be the best sales professional that you can be. Great. So everyone has expectations about things, uh, particular new jobs, new roles, new companies. So how different was the role in the company than, than what you thought it was going to be? So the role, um, it wasn't necessarily different than what I, what I thought it would be. It was, it was challenging, right? And I think one of the big parts that, that you and uh, Mark played is just having that sales mindset. It's a no, get over it, right? People are going to need your services. Some people won't. You're going to get no's. Uh, let it slide off your back. You know, don't let it crush you or, or um, affect your next call, right? Um, you know, I know in basketball, we say, don't worry about the last play, worry about the next. And, you know, right. we want to stay focused on, on that goal. And, you know, I've had days where I've made 200 calls in memory blue and not a single lead, you know, not a single appointment set. And then other days I say, Hey, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to get three leads or, you know, three appointments set before I get out of here. And just having that focus and, and not forcing it, right. Just being natural, um, having those conversations, not being pushy, but, really just taking the time to listen and, and understand if people have comments, objections, whatever it might be, that could be your source into 
into their life as, as their sales rep, um, if you let them speak about the things that, that they're dealing with, they could, they could give you that information easily. So a lot of the time it just comes back to the whole, you know, shut up and listen and, and um, you know, write, <laughs> write down the, the notes from it and make your plan of attack from there. So, you know, Evan, we were fortunate enough to kind of get, get you in our little sales palms, get you into the program, but you weren't with us all that long. So, you, you know, you got scooped up rightfully so by your client relatively early, but th- talk about your clients you had early and, and then th- that process, kind of how that went down because some people uh, work on clients that they want to go work for, some work on clients that they don't want to work for. Um, some of the clients don't want to transition the people on board. You're probably someone we would have loved to have kept on, but you know, we're not going to get in the way of what you want to do and what the client wants to do. That's part of the model. Go back to like kind of how that tr- transition, like what you remember about that. Yeah, so I had Harris Healthcare and Group Logic as my two clients, and I, if I remember correctly, Harris Healthcare, when I was generating appointments for them, it was based on a, a health survey that they were doing with hospitals, um, and then Group Logic, we were uh, setting appointments for this uh, enterprise mobility software, um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, we we were working with Group Logic, we had our call scripts. Um, and, and I sat down, I think with Summer and Bashar and Rob and just said, Hey, what do you want from me? What are you expecting? Um, and just setting those expectations up front. Right. Uh, so at the end of the day, it, it, ca- it came down to pounding the pavement. Um, there were opportunities that they wanted to get in front of that they hadn't been able to touch. Um, and, and, uh, for me, it was really just about providing those qualified leads, but I'd say it took a, a few, you know, a few weeks, a month to really get the ball rolling on that to, to get my call script down. This was my first sales, real sales role to understand how to connect with people and, and um, listen to them and, and know their pain. Um, but yeah, as, as far as my time, my time there, uh, I started in early December and I was out by the end of February and started with group logic in March. With memory blue. That's right. And summer, summer Panesha, I give her a shout out. She's a current customer to this day. So you know, the, the, yeah. the models, and I know you, you're still, you're still in communication with her from time to time, right? That's correct. I, you know, Summer Benish, once again, great shout out. She's an incredible woman, um, fierce and powerful and oh, yeah. uh, just an incredible sales leader. So I'm glad she's back with you guys. Sounds like she's not, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, but, but that's the beautiful thing too, about the model, right? We were able yeah. to get you in and get you trained and going, but you left such a great impression in 2012, that's eight years later, and Summer's back for you know more memory blue. Yeah, and, there and that's, you go. Really, that's really a testament to the work that you did for us when you were working with us. Do you remember like, like kind of what through your mind when uh, you were approached by the client to come to go work there? Yeah, I remember they they mentioned they were hiring actually, and I went to you and I said, "Hey, Mark, they're they're hiring." I was like, "Would you mind throwing my hat in the ring?" And, uh, and I said, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm way too green for this. And you said, Hey man, you, you've been doing well, let's just put it out there and see what happens. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we had that, you know, great conversations and uh, I provided them with some great appointments and, uh, you know, gained their trust and, and, uh, earned that, I earned that role at the end of the I should, day. I should have said, no, you don't want to go work there. You want to stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> I already told you when, when you opened up memory blue San Diego, you, you have me here. All right. Okay. Hey, one, all right. We'll get to get, get, get the, get the country going again and get COVID cured and we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that topic. But so, so good, listen, I was joking. Obviously I'm glad, I'm glad you went there. So um, you went there and then what happened? What happened next? 
So my very first day there, I had a uh, basketball game in the evening and I ruptured my Achilles. Um, so That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So I didn't get uh, any training or anything like that um, unless it was via, um, you know, my laptop. But I spent my first month in bed with my foot raised up above my head. And um, I took the time to really buckle down and learn the products and, and use those resources that I had. But I ended up selling $108,000 um, in my first month from my bed. Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com slash academy. Every once in a while, I, I turn on the highlight reel of kind of the greatest moments in Memory Blue history and, and some of the less, best leads booked by SDRs. And you're on that highlight reel. All right. And it was a certain lead. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, with, I'm, with a I'm with a C level executive uh-huh. from a beverage company in Atlanta. Yep. <laughs> Tell our listeners a little bit about the story. Yeah. So, uh, Group Logic had been trying to get in touch with Coca Cola to offer their uh, mobile device management services, um, and you know the name the name had come across my desk, but we didn't have any contact information. And what's really funny is. Um, you know, we, we were, we had just learned about Boolean search, I believe at memory blue. Uh, and I ended up looking up one of these C level executives. Um, I was able to use a Boolean search and I found some old PDF that was an internal document with his cell phone number on there. Nice. Um, and, and I was able to reach out to him directly. Uh, we had a couple conversations and, uh, you know, he was still hesitant when it came to moving forward with a product like mobile device management. Now, Remember, this is 20, 2012, where we couldn't access data from our servers on our phones. Uh, even though it seems like a lifetime ago, it's not, uh, you know, eight years. So um, for him, he was very hesitant on moving to a technology like that and, and saying, hey, I don't know if this is a fit, maybe too ahead of our time. Um, and I remember I watched the movie, uh, The Mechanic, <laughs> the, like two nights before I'd spoken to him. And I took Latin in, in uh, high school for four years. Of course so you I, have did. A, I have a pretty good handle on Latin. And um, one of the things on there, which is funny, it's on the side of a gun. It says, Amat Victoria Curum, which means victory loves preparation. So when he was giving me the back and forth of, hey, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a good fit for us. I said, you know, Amat Victoria Curum, you know, victory loves preparation. You know, today this may seem scary, but this is the way that, that we're moving in the future. Uh, and we were able to, uh, to get them in the book. So amazing. So, so why I love that so much is you can't teach that. You can't coach that. That was just you watching 
a movie, seeing something and applying it, thinking on your feet, lightning quick, booking, mic drop. There you go. <laughs> and, and, and a little bit of Catholic school education sprinkled in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great story. I remember, I don't think I found out about that from you. I remember Chris came in my house. Uh, <laughs> Gagne, Gagne, you know what Evan just did on the phones? You know what you know what Evan just did on the phones, Gagne? Let me tell you about this. So I, it's one of his favorite stories. And when we talked about talking to you in the podcast, it's like one of the first things he brought up. <laughs> no, I love it. I think, I think you know, as whenever I'm having calls or, or talking to people, you know, there, there's a mixed bag of things that you can always reach into, you know. Um, some of the other things that, that I like to say, uh, you know, the seven deadliest words in business, we've always done it this way. Um, you know, that, that, tends, that tends to shake people a little bit to their core as well. Uh, you know, no one wants to be left behind. <laughs> That's, I like that one. I'm going to steal that. Evan, opening up the playbook for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So before we move on to, to kind of your post-memory blue days, you were with us for a short period of time. At the time, one of the shortest in the history of the company. You all told, was it like three or four months before you got scooped up by your client? Yeah, it was uh, yeah, about two and a half, three months. Two and a half months. Amazing. Uh, so what, what I love is when um, Memory Blue alums refer people. And so you not only did you refer someone, you referred blood Yes, sir. Yes, I did. What was it about your experience that inspired you to refer your older brother, a mentor and an inspiration to you? What was it about the experience that inspired you to make that referral? So obviously I had a great experience and I know you guys give me the pats on the back, but, but honestly, the majority of my sales training came from memory blue um, over, over, even over all these years. That's where, where most of my training came from. Um, the story from my brother was that he had graduated law school. He has a law degree. Um, and he saw how well I was doing in sales and said, Hey, maybe that's not a bad place to pivot. And he asked me about my experience and, and, um, you know, the best way to really learn the sales game as, as you guys say. And, um, you know, I told, you know, I think I brought him to, uh, one of the alumni, uh, reunion parties and, and I just said, hey, they're super cool guys. Come meet them. You know, I think once you once you meet them, you'll understand who they are. You know, they're very serious about their business, but they work hard, play hard, um, just very genuine and, and down to earth people. And I think that was probably one of the biggest sells for him um, because he was looking for that knowledge and that expertise. And um, I think that was also the reason he left Memory Blue uh, because I moved to San Diego. Yeah. Uh, and I, I remember, yeah, I, I actually called him and said, Hey man, I'm, I'm moving to San Diego for work. And he said, let me call you back in five minutes. And then he called me back and he said, Hey, I let Chris and them know that I'm leaving <laughs> and going with you. Right. <laughs> so it was one of those things, you know, um, I, I think I took him off of your plate. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think <laughs> he's a better salesperson for it. And, and as am I, these Thomas guys, they keep coming and they keep leaving us. <laughs> Well, if there, if there were more of us, we'd, we'd send we'd send them your way. All right, good. That's right. <laughs> you know, I think it's a testament to you and your brother as a person, the fact that you worked for us for such a short time, and here we are eight years later, and we're still kind of jamming, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we, we appreciate you, Evan, a lot. Um, so with Acronis, or excuse me, Group Logic, break that down a little, because yeah. one of the things that the folks um, who work for us always ask is, hey, what, what's going to happen next? 
what do I do after this? How do I get into a closing role? How do I get hired by my client? I don't want to, you know, so you, you went over to group logic and you obviously at some point wanted to make that transition. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah. So the transition from memory blue to group logic. Yeah. In the role, like going from an SDR, because I, I believe that's where you got into the, did you get into a role there to close work? Yeah. So I got yeah. into an, an enterprise role immediately, um, which was a blessing for sure. Um, How did that I, happen? Yeah. So I'd say just providing really great leads to them for business that closed um, from memory blue. So doing my research, understanding those, those prospects and saying, Hey, this looks like a really good fit and, and really proving my worth when, when those customers come and they say, Hey, you know, you did a great job qualifying this and, and, vet, and vetting them. Um, and then understanding that or hearing from group logic that these clients moved forward um, with the purchase and, I think just building that trust over time with valuable leads that you're sending to them to generate opportunities and revenue. That's really how, um, you know, you, you really build up that rapport with the company. If you're trying to get hired by them, um, show that you have your head down, that you're, you're staying focused and, um, you understand their product and, and the clients that are fit for them at the end of the day. So, um, you know, going from that, that SDR role at memory blue to group logic was pretty seamless, right? Um, I'm having the same discovery call conversations that I would have at Memory Blue with with these prospects. Um, so I'd say just being prepared and and learning the things that we learned um, at Memory Blue translated really well for me. Um, you know, what, one of the things that that I really enjoyed about Memory Blue in general was that um, we would have those sessions where we'd sit in and we'd say, "Hey, give us your pitch," and then let people critique it. Um, you know, let your let your peers critique. Um, you know, the, the way your, your interactions with, with your prospects. Um, and I think it can be, you know, um, you know, you can be a little standoffish. It can cause anxiety. It can make you feel awkward when people criticize something that, that you have pride yeah, in or, sure. that you, or that you think you're doing well. But when you actually hear it, you go, oh, I could do better. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, you take those things and uh, as lessons learned and, and you try to roll them into your sales process to make yourself better. Um, so moving from the SDR role to group logic was really seamless. Like, like you said, you know, Summer Benish, she's uh, an incredible mentor and a great leader. Um, and I think that plays a huge role as well. Uh, the company, your manager, um, you know, just, just being on the same page. And I think with her, we were always on the same page. We, you know, we could, fill in the blanks of each other's sentences when we were chatting because she was involved in the process. Um, you know, I was transparent on where things stood or where I need help. And I think that's also a, a big factor as well is just knowing you're not on your own, especially in 2020, uh, you could Google literally anything and find, and find answers. Um, but at the end of the day, you, I think you, you lean on the people that, that support you. Um, and, and you take their guidance to heart and you do your best to be coachable and, uh, reflect that coaching in your processes moving forward. No, that's good. There's a, there's a, there's a lot there too, for people to kind of feast on. So, so when you're at Acronis, you kind of settled into a, a closing role. What was the number one thing that you had to learn to go from an SDR to a closer? What skill, what part of your game did you have to develop? Uh, negotiations. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just negotiating, understanding margins, um, you know, for companies on products that you sell. Um, but really just understanding how, uh, or sorry, what you're selling and, and how you're selling it and how it affects the overall business. Um, you know, we, we want to 
you know, we always want to have those big sales and, and, you know, we want to knock our numbers out of the park. But in some cases, it's, it's not always fruitful for the business at the end of the day. So I think keeping those things in mind, um, you know, understanding your customer needs. And, and uh, for me, I, I, don't, I don't like to be really flexible in pricing. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, a dollar, uh, you know, a penny is more than, than zero cents. So it goes towards your quota and, and it makes sense. Then How, how come you don't like to be flexible in pricing? Give us the philosophy. Well, for me, it shows, I feel like it, it doesn't show the value of your product that, that you don't believe in your product or your company doesn't believe in it. Um, you know, the, the pricing's out there for a reason. It's tried and true. Uh, and if someone else feels, hey, I should pay 10% of that. I don't need all of these features and benefits. I just want this. I mean, that's not your ideal customer at the end of the day. They're, they're going to take you for granted. Um, they're most likely not going to utilize your products or your solutions to the, its fullest advantage. And those are the ones that often they come back and, and complain or, or rip and replace at the end of the day. So for me, when, when I'm having those conversations, I even just like to say, hey, what do you think this is worth? And just to, just to get a temperature check, if I'm selling something that's $5,000 and they say, oh man, this looks like it's probably 20,000. And I can say, all right, well, what if I can get it to you at 10? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, so I can, I can make 5,000 on it, but also they see the value. And, and that means I've done my job at the end of the day that I've proven our value or exceeded the value that, that they believe in, in the company um, and that they're going to get their, the best bang for their buck. Got it. It's a good answer. So negotiation and then selling value on uh, your price. Okay. Exactly. So, so you, you, you made it. It's interesting sometimes when people come to Memory Blue who work for us, you're on Group Logic probably from day one, you end up going to Group Logic and then they, they were acquired, right? Yep. Yep. So they were acquired. I've been part of three acquisitions now and wow. um, that the, the group logic acquisition is actually a great story because it, it brings back in memory blue. Um, so I'm not sure if you remember Mark um, when we were acquired, most of the management team left. Um, I think Sam, summer had moved on and Chris had moved on. Um, we were working with the Acronis management and I had blown my number out of the water. Um, I was the, the top, top sales rep at 132%. But in February, I got let go, right, after this acquisition. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, what do I do? Like, I how, like how is this even possible to be the top-selling rep and still get let go uh, due to an acquisition? And I remember just calling you and saying, I don't get this. And you said, hey, acquisitions happen. You know, it's about the company at the end of the day. They're, you know, they're going to do the things that make sense for them. Um, it's not personal by any means. Um, nope. And, you know, I think that gave me, uh, you know, a, a sense of, um, you know, feeling a lot more assured um, moving forward. And uh, I came crawling back to, to Memory Blue and I said, yeah. hey, hey, can you help me find something new? <laughs> and uh, you put me in touch with Justin Brown for your Memory Blue search. Um, so, Justin you know, Brown. Justin Brown and Memory Blue search, right? So I know... Um, you know, for a lot of the people that are considering going to Memory Blue or working there, um, one of the things that you should be aware of is that uh, these guys are in your corner at the end of the day. Uh, they take the time to train you, um, make sure that, that you're a polished sales professional, um, but they're also human beings and they, they have that uh, true human spirit when it comes to picking people up as well. So um, I think that was such a, a great feeling for me to know that I was only there for a couple of months. And, and have the ability, because you and I were still texting, catching up, yeah, and just, just being able to reach out and say, hey, I've, I've, you know, this happened and, and I'm looking for some help. 
and you guys are always willing to, to be there and get in the trenches and um, make sure that you're taking care of your people, uh, past or present. Yeah, that's what it's all about, man. You know about Dell Tech, which is, again, another company that struck, struck some gold by hiring you. And that was when, I mean, I know you were there for a little while, but let's talk about the art of the move because the people who work for us, they're like you. I mean, you grew up in a great part of the country, but obviously – you know, you probably, you, you went to school locally, although it's an amazing school, very, in, like you said, very international, very diverse. But at some point, you, you know, you were growing your sales game, but you had an eye on moving, right? Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people do. So t- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I had always kind of eyed the West Coast with my brother as well. And uh, my brother and little sister are both into singing and acting. So they wanted to be where, where the action was. Um, so when I was at Dell Tech, I covered Indiana to Alaska and Hawaii, so the entire West. And I was traveling to the West Coast probably every other week or so, meeting with clients and going from D.C. to you know California, uh, Hawaii, wherever it might be as a, as a, a trip. So um, at the end of the day, I was working with my manager, Sangeeta Dorkin, and I came to San Diego for the very first time in April of 2015 and I said this is where I want to live um, I've been to LA but but San Diego I got off the plane and I thought I, I don't ever want to leave here <laughs> so um, when I went back when I went back to Dell Tech I would email her every morning and just say hey can I move to San Diego all of my clients are out there this doesn't make sense for me to be here and she just kept saying no after about two weeks of emailing her and saying please let me move this is for the best I'll, I'll work really hard remotely um, I finally, you know, closed some, some really large deals, gained her trust. And um, about a month later, I moved to San Diego. She gave me her blessing. Uh, and she said, all right, fine, stop bothering me. Go to San Diego. You know, you're doing well. So we're not going to worry about you. And that's when I called my brother, who was at uh, Memory Blue at the time, and said, hey, I got the green light. And he told me, I'm going to call you right back. And he told me that he, he had parted ways with you guys to, to make the move to uh, – to the West Coast. That, that was the second time Corbin came, came into my office telling me about a Thomas brother. <laughs> <laughs> First time was Coca-Cola. The second time was probably when, when Ian told him he was leaving. Guy, he's leaving. Yeah, I know. I know. And I think that, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of thought and anxiety that goes into it. I know for myself, I don't have a family, like a wife and kids, but I have all of my grandparents are still alive um, in their late 90s to this day. And, you know, I have siblings and, and parents there and it was a tough decision to make the move. But when it comes to your life and, and the things that are meaningful to you, you know, time and life waits for no man. Um, at the end of the day, uh, we're blessed to have Zoom and uh, texting and, and all sorts of ways to interact with people. And since I left it, it honestly feels like I, I haven't. I talk to them every single day on a family text. Um, you know, we do Zooms, we do trivia uh, and, and we really just, you know, we, we stay in touch. And, and I think that's what's really meaningful, um, that, that I'm able to live my life and, and not feel bad about it. Um, because, you know, having older grandparents, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. And, and there's going to, you know, there's guilt behind moving sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know, live, live your life, right? You can't live everyone else's. They, they're doing what they're doing. Um, and, and you have to do what's best for you at the end of the day. So if you want to move to the West Coast, uh, if you want to move to Spain, you know, pack your things and go. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a great life experience. It'll help you grow. Um, you'll learn so much more about yourself as well. So, Evan, you've been closing deals for 
eight plus years. What's your biggest or most favorite win? Man, so I would say uh, most favorite win was with uh, Dell Tech. We had a client who was having a lot of issues with our support. And um, I'd say it's my favorite win because I was able to think out of the box and be creative with my manager. Um, so, you know, they were thinking of ripping and replacing Costpoint, which is a Dell Tech's um, ERP and uh, accounting platform. And um, at the end of the day, I said, you know, what can we do to, to be better? And, and when they would call in, they'd get pushed to tier one support, tier two support, tier three, and rinse and repeat. They'd have to tell their story over and over and over. So I went to my manager and I said, hey, can we just get someone who's dedicated to his account, understands it inside and out? Uh, we worked with our account manager um, and we figured out a way to take something that was a $0 opportunity every year for just customer support. And we were able to sell it for $150,000 per year for dedicated support over uh, three years. So, you know, $450,000 in the bag for something that, um, you know, that, that at first I was kind of frustrated with and said, man, just let them rip and replace it. But um, really thinking on it, just taking the time to understand his needs. And, and we found out that there are a lot of other customers that were experiencing that same, you know, the, the same uh, issues. And we were able to sell that as a, basically as a, an add-on product or service moving forward. Wow. So like I said, we just went above and beyond the behind the scenes to, to really think about how we can support them and not lose their business. Um, but at the end of the day, truly be a partner to them. Um, they, they've invested, you know, millions of dollars into us. What's, what's it going to take for us to keep their business and, and to keep them happy? And it sounds like the client was glad to pay 150 oh. a year to have that dedicated support. Yeah, they, he was, he was uh, very enthusiastic about it. That's um, great. We, yeah, we didn't have to dabble in negotiations. It was, hey, here's, here's what we think it'll cost and signed off. Everybody that's, wins. Yeah, exactly. People, people will pay to get rid of their pain. That's, that's what you find out. Yeah, that's right. Well, that, that's a great example of you helping, right? Helping. Exactly. Yep. So what about your worst or most painful loss? So I know, I knew this was going to be a question, right? Um, that's always a question. Uh, even if you're in an interview, for <laughs> me, there's, um, there's not one that, that really sticks out. I think all, all losses are hard, right? You put in time and energy and effort and resources for any opportunity that you're working. Um, and of course, they, they hurt because you lose it. But at the end of the day, it's sales. Once again, I think that's something I learned at Memory Blue is you got to let it roll off your back. If, if you're relying on one single opportunity, I mean, boy, you better go build up that pipeline uh, because nothing's promised in this world. And it could be... Um, you know, something like COVID, right? Something unexpected, or it could just be, you know, negotiations or you leave a bad taste in their mouth or a promise unkept. So at the end of the day, um, there's nothing that really sticks out in my mind as like a, a brutal, you know, $2 million loss. Um, I feel like I've, I've gotten in most of the large deals that I've had, but none really stick out. I think they're all painful, but they're also all really great learning experiences because you can say, well, I blew it on this one, but next time I know not to, to take that route, right? So for me, that, that loss is more of a learning experience, um, no matter how big the deal is, how painful it may be at that time. Um, as you can tell, I, I can't even think of any that stick with me <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, it, it's, you know, we, we keep moving in sales. It never stops for anyone. <laughs> so how do you keep your skills sharp? 
Um, I still read sales books, but, but honestly, I think it's, it's trial by fire for the most part. Um, you know, in, in sales, it's, it's about continuing to learn whether it's your product, your competitors, um, doing research, understanding the landscape of the verticals, um, really just trying to stay up on what's, what's important to you and your book of business. Um, so for me, I, I, you know, if I'm doing cybersecurity with SiteLock right now, so you know, brushing up on, on cybersecurity jargon and, and things that are going on, companies that are getting hacked, et cetera. Uh, I'd say recently I read um, like The Go-Giver and um, Competing Against Luck. And, you know, sometimes those things will stick, but a lot of the times I feel like it's, hey, man, it's sales, right? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't need to uh, make it harder than what it is at the end of the day. We want to make that personal connection we want to understand their pain, build their, you know, build that trust. Um, and at the end of the day, earn their business, right? Not force it down their mouth, but prove your value and, and, and earn that business at the end of the day. What's more important. And so we've got people who work for us who are super impatient and it's a virtue. Chris and I, we screen for people who come work for us. We want people who have a, a low threshold for, uh, for patients. We want people who are impatient, but sometimes it can kind of work against you. Um, what advice would you have for impatient memory blue SDRs who are like in a hurry to get there, but they might not be ready to get there yet? Uh, you know, as Joel Embiid says, trust the process, right? There you go. Um, <laughs> you know, at, at, the, at the end of the day, um, what, what, what you're doing at memory blue is gold. Um, like I said, I, those, any of the sales stuff that, that we covered there, that's pretty much what I still function on today. Uh, even just two and a half months of it, right? Um, that was that was the core foundation of of my knowledge and my skill set. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're impatient, I get it. Everyone wants to move up to the big leads. Everyone wants to make more money. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're getting that training, you understand your your phone game. Um, you understand the sales process. It's only going to make you better and stronger, so that when you do move on you're going to be closing deals out of the gate. You're not going to have those same frustrations that people feel. Um, you're also going to have uh, the same expectations as someone, but you'll be more prepared for those expectations when they land on land in your lap. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Evan, uh, to get your read on, what do you think is the biggest mistake your contemporaries at Memory Blue made or make when they leave? Honestly, I'm not sure, right? I think... I, even just thinking about the people that I mentioned earlier, like the twists and Gannons, and um, I think everyone takes something a little bit different away from from Memory Blue. They apply it a different way, um, and I, I think for me, kind of sticking to the basics. And maybe it was a good thing that I left so so early because that was all I knew. I didn't really have the opportunity to go outside of those bounds and and create kind of my own persona or mentality around it. Um, for me, like I said, that's just my, my foundation. So I would say, you know, use, use what you've learned, use what you know. Um, these guys are professionals. They, they have businesses all over the country now because they're great at what they do. Um, so they're, they're great for a reason because people have seen success from it. So really hunker down, um, you know, open your books and, and open your mind and, and be list, uh, sorry, be ready to, to listen. And for, and I'd say most of all, just be coachable right? Be flexible in your approach. Listen to your, the feedback that's given to you. Um, it may sting if, it, if it's, uh, you know, a little critical, but at the end of the day, if it makes you better, it's going to make your company better. Um, and, and hopefully that'll give you the opportunity to shine. I'll tell you what, Evan, the East Coast loss was the West Coast game, man. I appreciate that. I really do. 
Well, Evan, hey, man, we really appreciate your time today. For almost two decades, Memory Blue has helped high-tech firms tackle their sales development challenges and carve out bigger market share in their space. Building and executing a carefully designed multi-touch cadence that generates a flow of sales qualified leads is the hallmark of our business. Our flexible solutions and talented professionals produce real results that clients can bank on. The end goal of our outreach is scheduling a qualified meeting so you can provide a comprehensive discovery call and bring the sale to a close. This carefully crafted process produces new business opportunities that have converted into over $1 million in closed deals. Hundreds of high-tech companies have trusted Memory Blue to help them grow, penetrate new markets, and test the viability of a new product. If you're interested in learning more about Memory Blue's full sales development services, head to memoryblue.com sales. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep.